Revelation chapter 4, for context, let's pick it up in verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray together. Father, it's hard for us to even know how to approach your word any time, but especially having you purposely revealing and giving us a glimpse into your throne room. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to receive everything that you want for us to, to, to have in our hearts related to these verses. Help us, Lord, to long for you, to long for heaven. Help us, Lord, as we see your throne room, that it would affect how we live right now. There's lessons, Lord, we recognize in the passage for that. We want to live in line and in alignment with how heaven lives right now. So help us, Lord. Use these verses for your glory in our lives. Pray that you would set this time aside for your special use. Help us to have hearts that are open to you and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Are you ready for a glimpse into heaven? I am. I've been looking at this this week and thinking, how in the world am I going to teach on this? I mean, where do you start? You could just take one bit of the, one of these verses and just meditate on it and let the Lord unfold it to our hearts um, for so long. It's so deep. You know, I'm not a Trekkie, so I'm just making that clear, making that public profession there that I'm not a Trekkie but I do I am aware of when they say they've said in that even the first series space 
the final frontier. That's a lie. Because we're going to look into something far greater than outer space. And so people say, I don't know what heaven's like. Nobody knows what, what heaven's like. Open up your Bible. We don't know in totality what heaven is like. But we, but we know a lot of what heaven is like by reading Revelation and other books, even in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6. There's many different places in the Bible where we see a very clear picture. We're given a taste. And it can and it should affect our and adjust our perspective as we gaze into heaven. We're so concerned with what's going on on earth. I mean, that's normal. That's typical. We have to deal with things. We have to look at the news, unfortunately. We have to see what's going on. And so many things can just seem so out of control. From man's perspective, they're just looking at this world going, it's spinning out of control. It's getting worse and worse. What's going to happen? And we know what's going to happen. I love the fact that I know the future. I always want to know the future as a kid. I always wanted to know what's going to happen. And I would think, I would remember being in my bedroom at night when I was supposed to be sleeping, trying to get tired because I was so hyper, such a hyper kid. And I would be thinking about, is this all there is? And, you know, is there, is there aliens? And I wasn't helping myself relax, that's for sure. Um, but I was trying to figure everything out, trying to, you know, who put all this here? Why am I here? You know, you just start thinking about life. And even as a little 9- and 10-year-old little boy, I was trying to figure out why we were here, why we are here, and so forth. And so when we as Christians look at heaven and think about heaven, it, we're supposed to actually look through this world through the lens or the prism of God's word and, and how God sees things. It really helps us deal with life. Not only just how this world is going, but our own personal lives. How, what's going on in my life should always be filtered through God's word because that's God's perspective. We should want to know what God thinks about it. And skeptics say, we can't know what God thinks. It's unknowable. Well, you know something about God. You know it, it's unknowable. So, I mean, that's a start. But we know from God's word, he's revealed exactly what we're supposed to know about him and about heaven. And so as we see this world careening further and further out of control, for us to be able to look into heaven and see heaven helps us and anchors us for what we deal with right now. Because this isn't our final place. This isn't our, you know, we can forget that and go through life and the problems of life and the struggles of life. And we forget that this isn't our home. We're passing through. This is just a flash. This is like a vapor, James says. This life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's just for a little, not even a nanosecond. That that wouldn't even be a fair measurement of time compared to eternity. So it helps us. Now in verse 2, we see who's at the center of heaven. He says, I was in, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So that's the first thing we need to observe is that God is at the center of heaven. What makes heaven heaven is him. It doesn't matter what, how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter what we see there, what we experience there, what we hear there. As wonderful as those things are, heaven would still be empty, just like earth is empty, apart from a relationship with him. Heaven would be empty, even with all the amazing things there. If God wasn't there, we would be empty in heaven. And so he is at the center. We see that's the very first thing, because John says, behold, (laughs) 
Like, look at that, or consider this. Immediately when he was there, it got translated that he sees this throne in, in heaven. And so this throne here, he's there, he's, he's, it says that he's resting there or sitting there. What does a throne speak of? What, is it, what does a throne represent? It, re- it represents a king. A king sits on a throne. It represents a monarchy. It represents someone that is a ruler over something. It speaks of authority. And I love the fact that God is God over heaven and everything. And it's just him. <laughs> it's not a, no committees. Nobody's taking a vote. There's no democracy there. He is there. He is ruling. It's a perfect monarchy. It's, he's a perfect ruler. Sometimes we get uh, scared of the thought of people ruling because we know the famous saying is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the thing is with God is that we don't have to worry about him having all power because he already has it. It doesn't matter if we want to ascribe that to him or believe that about him. He already has it. He is who he is. But the point is he can be completely trusted with all that power. Sometimes when I pray for myself or I pray for others, I pray along the lines that we couldn't be coming to anybody that has more power to change the situation. And we couldn't come to anybody that has more of a heart for the situation. There's no one that you can, you can, there's not even an idea we can conjure up in our heads that would be higher than who God is. And so when we don't have to be any, we don't have to be afraid at all of having him be, having that absolute authority. There will be never, never ever be any abuse of power. You know, I, I've just been sharing with a couple that I know who have been dealing with spiritual abuse. And it's been very difficult. It's always hard for me because I went through it myself. And it just drives me crazy when I see uh, spiritual abuse occur. And, and so sometimes people that have gone through that, they're afraid to trust again, spiritual leaders. There, there have been people in this church that looked at me cross-eyed a little bit for a while, like an, for like a year or two before they get whole because they're concerned about what I'm going to do as a leader. And that's totally normal. I understand that. But we don't have to be afraid of God having all power. Later on, we're, we're going, it, he, they, they worship and say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. That's, that's, that's saying you are worthy to have all the power that you have. You, are tr- you can be trusted with the power that you have. It's appropriate that you have the power that you have. It's beautiful that you have the power that you have. So he is ruling. Now notice in verse 2, we're told that the throne is set. Did you see that? He says, the throne is set in heaven. It's fixed. It's not going anywhere. It's solid. It's secure. His, you know, kingdoms come and go. Rulers come and go. There's defeat. There's conquests. But with God, no one's coming to invade heaven. <laughs> no one's, he's not has to worry about someone coming and taking over heaven. It's set there. Nobody's threatening his rule. He, he is ruling he always has been ruling, he is ruling, he always will rule, and he'll always perfectly, flawlessly rule. And it's beautiful. So no matter what we face, it's good to remind ourselves that throne is set. It's not going anywhere. He's still on the throne. Sometimes we remind ourselves when we're going through difficult times, is he still on the throne? Yeah, he's still on that throne. He's still ruling. And when we look at this world and how bad it is, we sometimes we think, wow, I'm wondering if He's kind of losing control of things. <laughs> He's not losing control of anything. 
It's exactly going where he's supposed to, where he wants it to go. And he's going to get into that in, in a little bit, talking about his will and so forth. So he is sovereign. He is in control of this world. It's leading to an end. He's not trying to, well, this got out of control, and now I've got to kind of scurry a little bit to get this thing back going on my plant. He's never been out of control one time, one bit. And it's true for my life and your life as well. He's always on that throne. He's always uh, trustworthy with our lives. Notice he's also sitting. It says that a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. It's not, he's not pacing. You know, he's not pacing. He's not wringing his hands. He's not stressed out. He's not anxious. He's not nervous. He's not scratching his head trying to figure out what to do with you and your life and or how this world's going he's heaven is completely at peace and and he wants us to walk in that peace is he any less just because we're on earth is he any less sovereign or any less capable of of being in charge of our lives and doing a great job with our lives no it's the same there's no reason why we should expect to be more peaceful in heaven than we are now, apart from our sinful natures, of course. And, but I'm saying in terms of what he can do for us on our behalf and work strong on our behalf, it's, there's no difference between heaven and earth and related to his power in our lives. So heaven's at peace right now. They're rejoicing over sinners that repent. I mean, there's things going on. They're not anxious. They're not stressed out. They're, they're, in, they're totally, completely at peace and that's supposed to bring comfort as we navigate this world because he gives us his peace he said don't be anxious for anything let let, let our requests be made known to god and the peace of god that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in christ jesus think about the lord jesus in this world in this public ministry think about what he was doing what he was engaged in he was never stressed out he was never he was always at peace now obviously we're different than him by so much so i know that He's God in human flesh, of course, but he gives us all his resources to navigate this world and have peace and, and, and walk in victory as, a con- as more than a conqueror. To be walking in situations and know he, he is living inside of me, I'm forgiven of my sins, I'm a child of the kingdom, I'm bringing the kingdom of God wherever I go. He, his grace has given me uh, the capacity to be the influencer in any situation instead of being the influenced for evil. And I can speak the word of God and I have the keys of the kingdom and all these things he says that's true about us. It's not any less true in this world than it is in heaven. It's just as true here. Now, John is going to be describing some things and he's going to use the word like a lot. <laughs> you know, sometimes with teenagers, you're like, could you just chill on the like? It was like this and then I was like, and then I was like this and it's like, you're trying to break a record with how many times you say like in a sentence? I mean, but it's good, obviously, when you're trying to describe something. He has really very few things to compare what he sees in heaven to. So he's going to say like. So it's not exactly these things, but he's getting as close as he can with his limited description. Remember the Apostle Paul, when he talked about his journey, or he knew a man that was caught up to the third heaven, and he, heard, he said, I heard inex- things, inexpressible words that would be unlawful to utter. Just the things that he heard were so amazing, it would be unlawful for him to try to even explain them. So now John is seeing stuff. We don't know if Paul was ever allowed to see anything when he went up to heaven. He could have just only been allowed to hear. We don't know. But John's being allowed to see here. So he has to use descriptive words like like. And it's okay for us to not understand every little thing. I'm very, part of the intent of this is to have us be in awe 
to have us anticipate heaven because we don't fully understand everything that we're seeing here. And it's okay. Mystery is okay for us to wonder and, and to ask the Lord about these things. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to, to be in expectation of what we're going to fully understand when we get our new bodies and we're in heaven. He says in verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, I don't believe John is describing that he's seeing gemstones here. Again, it's like. He's talking about colors here. I believe he's attempting to describe the colors and the light that's bursting forth from the throne. So the only thing he can know, I mean, he does... In that day, there wasn't great documentation of colors and so forth. They had gems. So he's describing these incredible colors there. And he says jasper. Now, jasper is normally kind of opaque. Later on, we're going to see that it's the, jasper is more of like a transparent, um, has an, a transparent look to it there. But he also says sardius, which is like really like a ruby red. It's really dark red. I think it's a little bit darker than ruby red. And then he says this rainbow was around the throne. Now, we're picturing it like this around the throne. It could have been like this around the throne or like this around. We don't know how it was around the throne, but it was a rainbow. And we know a rainbow is a, is a sign that God has put so that it, in existence to, to let us know that he will never flood the earth again and judge the, the earth by flooding and so forth. But it's, well, of course, we haven't really seen a green fully green rainbow. Have, you ever, have anyone ever seen a rainbow that's all green? If you've done that, I want to know about it. I want to know where you went to see that because, um, or any other circumstances that were going on that allowed you to see that. But the point is, is that that's amazing to think about a green rainbow around the throne. You know, heaven is not going to be a dull place. It's so funny when you think about historically Christian attire or, you know, memorials and all these things that have to do with color. And and here, everything about heaven is full of color, bursting with color and so forth. And I believe that we're going to have the capacity with our new bodies to see colors that I don't even think we've even scratched the surface of the types of colors and things that we're going to be able to see. But heaven is not a dull place. Obviously, God invented light. He invented our capacity to see different colors and so forth and just imagine our eyes being able to see all those different colors so he's looking the direction of the throne and there's just colors just bursting from the throne there and i don't believe he's really seeing the father i believe he's seeing you know his glory come out from who he is and then he says in verse four around the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones i saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So around God's throne were 24 thrones, and these elders were sitting. Again, they're sitting, they're at peace, no stress, no anxiety. They are resting there with total peace. And so you ask, you know, well, who are these elders? We're not specifically told who these elders are. There are 24 of them. Some people have suggested that they're angels. I don't believe that they're angels because of a few things. First of all, in chapter 5, it talks about they, they sing a song and they are reflecting basically their salvation, being thankful for their 
salvation. But also in the verse here, you see that they were clothed in white robes. And only humans are described as being clothed in white robes. It speaks of righteousness. It speaks of perfect holiness there. So they are clothed in these white robes. And also we're told that they have crowns of gold on their heads. And that speaks of rewards. And what's interesting about this word crown there, there's two basic words for crown in the New Testament. The first one is diadem. And there's that old hymn, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. So that was the, the, the crown for a king. But then there was these, these other crowns. And the other Greek word is Stephanus. It's a word from which we get our word Stephen from. And those were victor's crowns. And those were usually wreaths that they made. Uh, if you competed in an event, a sporting event, they would make a wreath and put it on your head and so forth. They had a different name for that. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew that these people that were competing were not getting monarch-type crowns, that they weren't becoming kings and queens. They were, they were victors in, in uh, their competition and so forth. So we're told of five different victors' crowns in the New Testament, which is a whole other study. But here these elders have these crowns that speak of the victor's crown. They've been, they've been victorious, and they've gotten this, these crowns as a reward. And so I believe they're, they are believers. Now, they could be believers that were Old Testament saints that became believers. And, you know, some people think, well, there's the, the, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, and so there's a someone that was represented as a leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel who came to know Christ. Then you have the 12 apostles that, that obviously came to know Christ. That's where you get 24. It's all speculation. We don't know. I mean, we're told that uh, later on in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, we're told that the gates there had the names of the 12 tribes there and then also the foundations that were underneath the wall, the 12, the 12 foundations underneath the wall there around the New Jerusalem that had the names of the 12 apostles. So we, it could be that. We don't know. The, the point is, is that they're, they're wearing white robes and they have crowns that show that they have been rewarded for faithfulness and fruitfulness and doing things for the Lord. And they're there before the throne there. Obviously, the God wants them there. I mean, he wouldn't have given them those thrones that are around his throne. So he wants them there. It blesses him that they're there. And, and they are there to worship and who knows what else. Verse 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, some see this, this uh, thunderings and lightnings and so forth is the beginning of a storm. And because there's going to be a storm that God's going to execute in this world related to the Great Tribulation, so they're saying it's starting to, starting to take shape or starting to commence and so forth. Again, just speculation. This could just be His glory. And like, I mean, you ever been in a massive thunderstorm? I haven't been in too many of them. I have relatives that live in Missouri. Sorry, Missouri, in case they're listening. And man, I remember as a kid being there and just... I was afraid. I mean, it was so loud, the thunder and so forth. I didn't want to be anywhere near outside at that time. I mean, growing up here in the valley, I mean, you barely get anything related to thunderstorms. So he, he, this, this lightnings and thundering and voices and all that, 
we have no idea specifically what that is. But we know it's just an you know, overflow of who he is and what he's doing in heaven and how he's expressing himself in heaven. And it's beautiful. But then the seven lamps of fire that were burning around the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. You may remember in chapter 1 we talked about that. And chapter 2 we talked about the seven spirits of God. And seven represents the, the number of fulfillment or completion and so forth. So I believe this is talking about the fullness of the spirit is there around the throne. You have God the Father being focused on. Here you have the Holy Spirit being focused on. And then we're going to get a lot in the next chapter, especially into the Son. And that, I mean, we're, we're still talking about a triune Godhead. It's one of the reasons why I believe they cry out, holy, 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 three times. I mean, he's, you think, well, why would they do that? I mean, he's, he's worth more than three times. We want to talk about his holiness. So, I mean, if they're going to try to talk, I mean, no number could fully fulfill how holy he is you'd be saying holy for eternity so it's very possible that he's they're talking about his the triunity of god and how he's one god revealed in three persons so you see the fire burning around the throne which are the seven spirits of god the fullness of the holy spirit as we've already seen him interpret that for us verse six before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And you're like, okay, this is where you lost me now. I was afraid of revelation. Now I'm seeing eyes on things in front and back and all that. God has a, God's creative. So here we see right before the throne is a sea of glass. And that's talking about its size. When you're talking, when John's communicating, he's seeing a massive expanse. The closest thing he would be able to come in his mind to describing that would be the sea. Whether it's the Sea of Galilee, um, who knows where else. I mean, there's other places in that area. That, but he's saying, I saw a sea of glass. That space is massive. Remember, there's going to be pictures that we're going to see of us standing before the throne. And we're told every tongue, tribe, nation all this diversity because his body is so diverse they're going to be standing before the throne we're talking about throughout the church age all those that have come to know him but also the old testament saints that look forward to messiah and so forth that died in faith they had jesus preach the gospel to them uh, in hades and they were resurrected they're they're in heaven now so there's a lot of people that are going to be part of this whole worship service before the throne Now I want you to imagine, because the sea of glass there, I want you to imagine all this color that we've been seeing bursting forth from the throne, emanating from who he is and his glory, all refracting and going, piercing through and reflecting off of this sea of glass. Think about that. It's amazing. It's built to be able to reflect his glory. And especially while we're there there worshiping, we are standing on this sea of glass and all of the who he is and his glory coming out, going bouncing off of it as we're worshiping. I mean, man, can we just go there right now? I just wish we could just go there right now. In the midst of the throne there in verse 6 also tells me that this throne is big as well. You don't have it in the... I mean, if you have a little high chair, you know, they don't say, in the midst of the high chair, we put all this stuff and did all these things. It's like, no, this is huge. This is a massive throne. The God of the universe it is huge. So there's a very big 
throne there. We have a big God. So, of course, there's going to be a big throne. Then he mentioned these four living creatures. And notice, full of eyes in front and back. And you thought your mom had eyes in the back of her head. Think about that. I mean, I don't think they had to worry about putting their eyes out, you know, by an accident or whatever. But um, just think of these creatures just filled with eyes in front and in back. And God made them that way. So there was some need that they had to be able to see. And maybe it's because of all the things that they had to see. Maybe it's the, I mean, all the beauty that's there. God knew that they would be blessed and their purpose would be fulfilled better if they could see in the front and in the back and see all of, of God's glory there and the way that they could see it based on what he had given them with their vision. So it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just so there's a lot of eyes. It's not a big deal. It just has a lot of eyes. Not, 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 I mean, I bet you they could maybe look down at us and go, well, that's kind of different. They have two, just two eyes. How, how boring. How limited is that? I got eyes in front and back, and, and they don't have to worry about putting contacts in every one of them, so they don't have to worry about that. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're good. His creativity is limitless. And just because something's different, and, I mean, we can't pre- have prejudice against things that we don't understand. We just have to be in awe over those things. Wow. Look what God did. Look what he made. So don't get too concerned about the eyes in front and in, and in back. Now notice John further attempts to describe these four living creatures. He says the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. Because he's using the word like in all these. Again, it's not fully these things, but he's getting as close as he can. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Now, this is a lot similar to these, the, the, how he describes these creatures. It's very similar to Ezekiel chapter 1 and these other visions that other people have received. You can look at that in your own time, on your own time. But the, this isn't the first time there's been descriptions of, of, of uh, beings like this. And then he continues, and they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So they were involved in ceaseless worship. And this is one of maybe around 20 times where worship is expressed and, and these different songs. And many of the songs we sing are based off of these songs. So he says these three different things here the attribute you know he's worshiping they're worshiping based on who God is and he, they kind of talk about his attributes a little bit and, he, and what's interesting is that all through the bible the one, the attribute that's really emphasized more than any other you would think that it would be love it's not all through the bible from genesis to revelation the attribute that's emphasized the most about God is his holiness and so that's what's mentioned first and holiness means to be separate to be set apart, to be different. And he's called each of us to be holy, to be set apart. That's what sanctification means. It means to be set apart. When we receive Christ at that moment of conversion, when he comes in by his Holy Spirit and makes our dead spirit alive, that's called regeneration. When that happens, he sets us apart at that moment. And then there's the process of walking in that designation and becoming more and more like Christ. He also says the Lord, they also say Lord God Almighty. 
So they're talking about his power, that there's nothing too difficult for him. He has limitless power, and they're worshiping him for that. And then they says, who, who was and is and is to come. And not only is that speaking of God being outside of time, but I believe it's, it's a reference to Christ as well, because he was, he is, and he is to come. And he's already mentioned that in chapter 1 there. So he's worship, they're worshiping the Lord day and night. They don't need to sleep. They go day and night worshiping the Lord, singing these things to him and crying out to him. And we're also told that these living, four living creatures are catalysts for worship. Notice he says in verses 9 and 10, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And you get again to what they say in a moment. So these living creatures are encouraging and, and they're like instigating worship. And they're causing these elders to fall down and, and worship him. And so that, that's noteworthy to know there's these elders on these 24 thrones, these living creatures worship God day and night, saying the things that we, we just read. And because they're doing that, these 24 elders bow down and, and they fall down and worship uh, accordingly. This might be the best definition of worship in the whole entire Bible right here. To fall down and to be prostrate is to worship. That's the, that's the essence of the word worship, is to be down before the Lord, and that's what they're doing. Now, sometimes I think we get a little bit too reserved in our expression of worship. There's no re- being reserved. We don't see anyone being reserved here. And I, I recognize we'll have new bodies. So if we're a little bit conservative, we'll get a new body, and it'll help us to be a little bit not so conservative, possibly. I don't know. But they're, they're not afraid of, of just really expressing everything that they can express to the Lord in the moment because of what he's done. There's, there's no holding back whatsoever. We're afraid sometimes to even go, woo! You know, that's like risky to go, woo! Or something, or to like, yeah! Or, you know, and you read all through the Psalms, you read all through David shouting and dancing and letting it all go and just not caring what people think whatsoever. And, and it's beautiful. And of course, God looks at the heart. He can, we can express the same things in our hearts, not doing those things, but to not be afraid to just let things go if that's how we want to express ourselves is a beautiful thing. So we need to understand that. Now notice what they say to God in worshiping him in verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. It's hard to, it's hard to understand when we receive glory. Well, God already has all the glory. How can he receive glory? It's us ascribing to him how glorious he is. That's what it's talking about. And, and, it's, and for him to say, and honor and power, we're saying, you deserve all honor. We're ascribing to you all honor. We're recognizing that you have all power, and you're worthy uh, to exercise that power, and your judgments are perfect and flawless, and we have no problem with you having all the power that you have. Because you're, you're a, a good God who exercises power appropriately. We give you all that honor. And that's why they say at the beginning of verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord. He is worthy. He's worthy of all of our worship and more. He's worthy than more than our worship. He's worthy of more than what we can possibly 
give him. But then they add to it, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. They're glorifying God for being an amazing creator. We, th- we forget that cr- creating cr- a creator means you're cre- creative. We, we sometimes separate that. That God, well, he created everything. He made everything, and that's it. No, he was very creative in, in how he made things. And it's beautiful how he, des- how he designed things, how he, what choices he made on how he made things the way that he did. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it should bring worship to us. One of the reasons why, like I said, during worship time, when we have the times where we'll have a little... Um, time when we're not singing and the music's going. That's our time to be thinking about how great God is and how he invented music and he invented those notes. And we have time to say all the things that we need to say personally to him. They have totally separate, uh, they're not related to the words that we had been just singing, but private, personal things. So beautiful times to do that. But the music brings him incredible glory to think that he made music and he made all the things that we see. And he, he says there, by your will they exist and were created. They weren't, he wasn't a victim of anyone else's creation or no one else influenced that. He decided to make things how he made them. And it, it can kind of trickle down into us processing how he made us. Why did you make me the way that you made me, Lord? Because it was his will. All our, all our things of how we are, so often we don't realize that he was working in our lives way before we came to know him. He made us a certain way. And, and those things, many of those things do carry over into when we're, we are a new creation. But some of the, way, the ways that he created us and how he made us continue to be used by him even after we come to know him. And the, the things that are of the flesh, then yeah, we don't have to even focus on those. We focus on the great things and the godly things and how he has made us. So it's a great thing to to think about as we worship him with our lives. You made me a certain way, God. It's not by accident you made me a certain way. And you want to use those things to to bring you glory and to, to have my life represent worship and have me make a difference in this world for you. And and I'm an ex, I'm an object of your creativity. And I'm and I express a part of you and how you made me. And, and it, of course, so much of that is fully realized when we come to know him, when we receive, we realize our gifts and all those things. But it's just a way that we can bring him glory and we can worship him to recognize he created things how he created them. And he knew how he would do it and he did him well. And we worship him for those things. Eve, did you know that even where he's geographically placed people is not by accident? Hold your place here. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. want us to begin reading in verse 25. Paul speaking here. Verse 25, Acts 17, 25. says, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times 
and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why? Verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God placed everyone where he placed them so that they would seek after him. Even where he's placed people, his creativity is expressed even where he has placed people. And, his, and, and so we think, well, we're all different races and we're all different blood. And he's like, no, there's one blood there in verse 26. There's one race, the human race. And we have changed in different places or whatever, but we are either uh, humans or we're not human. And, and he has placed us in the places he's placed us so that we should seek him and that we would seek after him and grope for him and reach out to him, trying to have that relationship with him, that we would receive that gift of salvation, having him come inside of us and make us that new creation that he makes each one of us. And it's, a, it's something that he needs to be worshipped for, how well he does all of that. He's the one that, that confounded their languages, the Tower of Babel. He confused their languages so they would be spread out all over the world. So that he would work in their lives the way he's worked in their lives so that they would seek after him. It's very purposeful. It wasn't by accident. But it's a part of him that we can appreciate and we could worship him for because that's an expression of his creativity. And it's beautiful. So heaven is heaven because of him. He's at the center of it. He's the center. He's on the throne. That throne is set. It's fixed. He's sitting. He's not stressed out. He's not anxious. He's not wringing his hands. He's not scratching his head. He is in total control. Maybe that's a word for someone here today, a special word. You need to be reminded that he's on that throne. This world is is not careening out of control. It's going exactly where his sovereignty and his creativity is leading it. In addition to that, heaven is a place of worship. We have to be recognizing that. Heaven is a worshiping place. It's a place where we're expressing that worship. There are other things we're going to be ruling and reigning and so forth. There's other things that we're we're going to be engaged in. But heaven is a place of worship. We see the peace that's there. We see how in control he is. We see how everybody is. I mean, think about these creatures. They weren't fallen. They weren't saved sometime, and now they're thankful for how God saved them. They're worshiping him because of who he is and how all they've known him to be since they were created. And they're worshiping him with all of that uh, passion and all of that, uh, you know, uh, being aggressive in that. But we've been redeemed. We knew who, we, who we've been. We know who we've been. We know who he saved us from. And so our whole lives should represent worship. And so he wants this, our lives to be aligned with what's already going on in heaven, with our character with how we're at peace, with how we're walking in his joy, walking in his power and so forth, but also having our lives be represented by worship. Everything about our lives should represent worship. Everything should be given over to him as, as, as an expression of worship. And it's beautiful. And he, is, he deserves more than what we could give him. But at least let's give him everything that we can possibly give him and serve him with our whole lives. To bring, if we, there's anything we can do to bless his heart, Let's do it. I'm excited to see what else we're going to see here. But wow, what a great picture just to be able to have a glimpse into heaven and be able to see the throne room. The throne room of grace, by the way. Throne room of grace.